Today we're continuing our unrestrained series. We've uh, been working our way through the book of Colossians and so a very brief recap of where we've come from so far. Some pretty incredible stuff that we have unpacked that Paul has said through the first chapter and a little bit of Colossians chapter 1 and 2. First of all, Paul started by telling us what God has done. And uh, if you remember back to the first week, we talked about this amazing transaction that God had done where he'd taken us from the kingdom of darkness and placed us in the kingdom of light. This amazing understanding that God has taken us from a place where we can't see where we are, where we don't know what's going on, a place of confusion, a place of fear, and put us in the kingdom of light, a place where we can see things as they're supposed to be, where we can see the way forward and where all of that fear disappears. Paul then spent a significant amount of time talking about who Jesus is. And uh, through that second week, we talked about all of these things, that Jesus shows us what God is like. Jesus creates and holds everything together. Jesus is the head and the heart of the church. Jesus is the one who gives us peace with God. Jesus is the one who allows us to be seen as pure, as faultless, as without accusation. Just this unbelievable laying out of all of these incredible things that Jesus is and that Jesus has done for us. And so then last week, we talked about this secret or this mystery that has been revealed through all of that, which is this truth, that that Jesus, that incredible, amazing Jesus, lives in us, lives in every single one of us. That Jesus lives in you today, which is absolutely remarkable. So for me, even just pausing there, I think is really, really helpful because for those of us who've been following Jesus for a while, it can be easy for us to say, yeah, 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 we know. Yep, that's that's all true. That's good. But do we actually understand the implications of that? How incredibly amazing it is that God has taken us from darkness into light, that God has shown us fully who he is through Jesus and done everything necessary for us to be pure and spotless, complete before God, and that Jesus lives in us. That is absolutely remarkable news that Paul has shared with us so far. But it is good for us to talk about the, so what? What's the implications of this? What does this actually mean in terms of how we live our lives? And so that's where we're going to shift into as we go through today's message. So we pick things up in uh, chapter 2, verse 6, and Paul writes these words. He says, Since you've accepted Christ Jesus as Lord, live in union with him. Keep your roots deep in him, build your lives on him, and become stronger in your faith as you were taught, and be filled with thanksgiving. And so Paul uses these three very distinct metaphors that are really, really helpful to understand what it looks like for us to live out these truths that we've been talking through over the last few weeks. He begins by using the metaphor of living in union with Jesus, which in other translations is actually written as walking with Jesus, which is probably more helpful for us to be able to understand. This idea of following Jesus on a daily basis. What Paul is saying here is since you have accepted who Jesus is, since you have believed in who Jesus is, since you've trusted in who Jesus is, and you've made him the Lord of your life, which means he's the one who's the leader of your life, he's the one who sets the priorities for you, the direction for your life, he's the one who gives you your identity and your sense of purpose. Since you've accepted all of that stuff, walk with Jesus. On a daily basis, get up every day with a sense of excitement about what it looks like to walk with and to follow this Jesus who you've made the Lord of your life. 
The second metaphor that he uses is to let your roots grow down deep. A really beautiful, earthy metaphor. And if you think about a really big tree, it sinks its roots down deep into the soil. There's an element of being able to receive all the nutrients that are in the soil that then helps the tree to grow and be healthy and to flourish. But also this reality that the more that the roots are sunk down deep, the stronger the tree can become. And so big trees can stand up against amazing, powerful storms and huge winds if their roots are sunk down deep into the ground. So Paul encourages us to think about what it looks like to sink our roots down deep into Jesus. And then he uses a third metaphor, to build our lives on Jesus, which is more of a building metaphor, to think about a foundation, a really, really solid foundation. So if you think about a building that's being built, if it's got a really strong, solid foundation in place, then you can build out from there with confidence. You can put other structures up, you can grow up and out, and you can know that it's going to be supported, and again, that it's going to withstand anything that comes its way. And so Paul uses these great metaphors for us to talk about the idea of living with Jesus means following Jesus, walking with Jesus, sinking our roots down deep into Jesus, building our foundation on Jesus. And so we're going to continue to unpack that as we keep going through. And then Paul says, through it all, be filled with thanksgiving. Recognize all of this stuff that God has done for you and actually practice gratitude in that. Say thank you. Thank you, God. That's amazing that you've done that for me because that then changes our perspective on everything else. So Paul starts this part of the passage by saying, now that you understand who Jesus is and what Jesus has done, live like it. Walk with Jesus, sink your roots down deep into Jesus, build your foundation on Jesus. Paul then continues in verse 8 and says, See to it then that no one enslaves you by means of the worthless deceit of human wisdom, which comes from the teachings handed down by human beings and from the ruling spirits of the universe and not from Christ. For the full content of divine nature lives in Christ in his humanity. And you've been given full life in union with him. He is supreme over every spiritual ruler and authority. So similar to what we unpacked last week, Paul is continuing to encourage us to stay focused on the truth of who Jesus is and what he's done and to stay away from foolish arguments or deceitful teaching. And so if you think back to last week, we used the image of a big bubble of nothing, a bubble of air that looks so pretty and so shiny and when it pops, it might make a really exciting noise, but then there's nothing left. It's just wind and emptiness inside of it. And so Paul reminds us not to get enslaved with those big bubbles of nothing, but to base our lives on the truth of who Jesus is. Paul uses in our translation the word enslaved, so don't get enslaved by other teachings. But other translations, particularly older translations, talk about the idea of not being spoiled. And if you think about that in the context of a piece of fruit, being spoiled, going rotten, or a piece of paper that is then dropped in some water and then is completely useless. That idea of not letting deceitful arguments spoil or rot us or make us be completely useless like a piece of paper in water. Other translations also use uh, language that talks about not letting those mistruths rob us or plunder us. So if you think about a raiding party coming into a town and just stealing everything that's there and tipping everything upside down, All of those three pictures are helpful for us to recognise. Paul's saying, don't let deceitful arguments, big bubbles of nothing, don't let those things come along and enslave you. 
Don't let them rot you from the inside out. Don't let them rob you of what Jesus has given you, the truth that we find in who Jesus is. And Paul reminds us that we have to be careful because whether it's philosophy, and again, as we've said throughout the series, Paul's really attacking Gnostic philosophy through this, the idea that there's all these ladders that we can climb to solve the mysteries of God and unlock that, or, and as we're going to see, he's going to change gear and start attacking religious practices, particularly Jewish law and teaching, we need to be careful that those things don't distract us from who Jesus is because the fullness of God lives in Jesus. Other translations actually say the fullness of God dwells in Jesus. And uh, if you think about dwelling, it's about setting up home. So most of you are aware that we've moved house this week. So on Thursday, we moved into our new place. And so that's what we've been doing the last few days is getting into that place, dwelling in that place, setting up home in that place so that it is the place that is not just our house, but our home. And so that idea of Jesus, of God dwelling fully in Jesus is the same idea. God coming along and setting up home inside of Jesus, the fullness of God dwelling in the person of Jesus. And through that, we've then been filled up. There's nothing that's wanting left inside of us. We've been filled to the fullest because of Jesus. And so Paul challenges us to say, are you embracing that? Are you embracing the truth of who Jesus is, the fullness of God that can fill you up? Or are you chasing after these big bubbles of nothing that will rot you, that will rob you of what God wants? So it's a good question for us to wrestle with, to say, well, what are the things that distract us? Or what are the things that get in the way of us when we think about our culture today? Because most of us, I think, aren't kind of tempted to dwell on Gnostic philosophies. I haven't heard anyone talk about that recently, nor do I hear anyone talking about the importance of following Jewish law, who's a part of our church or in the community around us. So what are the things that we can end up focusing on instead of being filled up with Jesus? One challenge is to think about the impact of advertising on us, these constant messages that get thrown at us that tell us your life would be better, you would be more filled up if you just had this in your life, if you just had this new car, or if you just had this bigger TV, or if you just had this thing in your house, everything would be better. You would be much, much more complete is the message that we get from advertising on a regular basis. Some people around us worry a lot about image. If I just could get my hair exactly perfect, if I could just get the right set of clothes, if I could just get my makeup right, if I could just take the right selfie, then everything would be perfect and I would be filled up. I would be happy. Life would be complete. For some people, it's worrying about what other people think about them. It's concern about, do other people like me? Are other people happy with what I've said? Are other people thinking that I'm doing well in the things that I'm doing? And we can get consumed and fill ourselves up with worrying about what other people think of us. And there's lots of other things that we could unpack. But all of those things, again, are big bubbles of nothing that ultimately don't take us anywhere. The only way for us to be filled up to the fullest is with the truth of who Jesus is, where we see God fully dwelling in him. Now, it's nice to have some of those things. It's nice to have nice clothes. We're very happy to be moving into a new house. So it's not to say all of those things are really, really bad, but it's just this question of what is the most important? What is the thing that we're taking our identity from, our purpose from? What is the thing that sets our priorities? 
Paul then continues on with a third challenge to us. He says, now that you understand who Jesus is and what he's done, live like it, stay focused, but also embrace the freedom that we've been given. In verse 11, Paul says, in union with Christ, you were circumcised, not with the circumcision that's made by human beings, but with the circumcision made by Christ, which consists of being freed from the power of this sinful self. So as I said, Paul shifts focus from the Gnostic philosophers and the impact that they were having over to Jewish religious leaders who were apparently telling the Colossians that, yeah, it's great that Jesus has done all those things. That's really, really good, and we believe all of that too. However, you still need to be circumcised if you want to be a part of God's family. And circumcision was this massively important rite of passage for the Israelites. It was the key sign for them that they were God's chosen people, that God had selected them and that they had entered into a covenant with God to be his chosen people. And this had been true for centuries, for generation after generation after generation of Jewish people. They'd embraced this rite of passage as crucial to understanding what it meant to be the people of God. And so this, along with things like food laws and Sabbath and some other things, were what made it so hard for Jewish people to get their heads around the fact that Jesus was enough. They couldn't believe it. Yeah, we agree with everything you're saying, that's really good, but surely you're not saying we have to let go of all of this stuff. Yes, Jesus is enough, but surely I have to do something. There's some requirement that's still on me in order to accept what God has done for me. But Paul says that rite of passage, circumcision, has been done away with. And now it's not about a human rite of passage. It's not anymore about what we do or what we don't do. But it's simply about what Jesus has done. End of story. The rite of passage has already been completed through Jesus. The initiation is complete. It's done. And not just for a select group of people, the Israelites, but for absolutely everyone. And what does this rite of passage Jesus gives us do for us? It frees us up from the power of the sinful self. We don't anymore have to be dictated by the selfishness that sadly is inside of every single one of us. All of us have that temptation to say, what's in it for me? What's most important for me? What do people think about me? Me, 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 me. We all get very focused on that. But Jesus has set us free from that from the selfish tendency that we all have to say, no, there's a better way of looking at what life is all about. And so to drive this point home, Paul then reminds us of the powerful symbolism that we focus on with baptism. And I'm really excited to say next week, we're going to be having another baptism, which is really, really awesome. So Aaron is going to be getting baptised next Sunday. So that's exciting. I think we should clap for that. That's great. So we're looking forward to celebrating that and unpacking everything that Paul is saying right here because it's a beautiful demonstration of exactly what he's saying. In verse 12, he says, When you were baptised, you were buried with Christ, and in baptism you were also raised with Christ through your faith in the active power of God who raised him from death. You were at one time spiritually dead because of your sins and because you were Gentiles without the law. But God has now brought you to life with Christ. So in baptism, we're symbolically buried with Jesus. Our old self is killed off. It's gone. It's finished. It's not just cut off. 
which is the symbol that's a part of circumcision that makes us all squirm a little bit, particularly those of us who are male. It's not just cut off, but it's buried and gone completely once and for all. And we're raised with Jesus too. We're spiritually dead because we didn't live perfectly by the law. No one's capable of doing that, but especially those of us who are non-Jewish people. But God has brought us to life, made us fully free, fully forgiven. And how does all of that happen? Through faith in the active power of God, through faith in Jesus, in what he's done. And not because we deserve it, not because we've done enough, but simply by trusting in what God is able to do. The message translation of what Paul has been saying is super helpful for us to re-enter back into where we're up to. He says this, Entering into this fullness that Jesus has given us is not something that you figure out or achieve. It's not a matter of being circumcised or keeping a long list of laws. No, you're already in. Insiders, not through some secretive initiation rite, but rather through what Christ has already gone through for you, destroying the power of sin. If it's an initiation ritual that you're after, you've already been given it by submitting to baptism. Going under the water was a burial of your old life. Coming up out of it was a resurrection. God raising you from the dead as he did Christ. And to spell that out even further, Paul continues on in the rest of verse 13. He says, God forgave us all of our sins. He cancelled the unfavourable record of our debts with its binding rules and did away with it completely by nailing it to the cross. And on that cross, Christ freed himself from the power of the spiritual rulers and authorities. He made a public spectacle of them by leading them as captives in his victory procession. So there's this beautiful imagery that Paul uses to drive home how forgiven we are. This idea of the cancelling of unfavourable record of debts. Old translations talk about the idea of our debts being blotted out, which when you think back to the days, back in Paul's day, if you owed someone some money, then they would write that out, a piece of parchment, give that to you and say, okay, you owe me $50 or 50 shekels or whatever it was that they were using at the time. And so you would then have that and you would be responsible for paying that. But once you'd paid the debt off, then they would literally pour some ink over it and blot it out so that you couldn't see it anymore. And that's the imagery that Paul's using about how God treats our sins. They're gone. Every mistake that we've ever made, everything we're going to do wrong, all of it's gone. It's blotted out. There's also this other imagery where if there was a contract between two parties, once that contract had been fulfilled, then often what would happen is that they would literally drive a nail through that contract. So again, that piece of parchment or that piece of paper would now have a hole all the way through it as something that you could see. This contract is finished. It's over. And so there's this amazing symbolism that then kicks in when we think about Jesus and the nails and the cross, that there's a nail that's been driven through the contract. It's finished. It's over. There's now a new relationship in the way that we connect with our God. And as Jesus did all of that, blotting out the record of all the mistakes that we made, driving a nail through the contract, as all of that stuff is done away with, Jesus made a public spectacle of the enemy that would want to drag us away from God. And this is a very powerful image 
in Paul's time because they were regularly used to emperors who would come back from wars with the spoils of war, often with prisoners of war, certainly with a whole bunch of stuff that they had managed to get because they'd won the war. And so they'd have these gigantic parades that would go through the streets and everyone knew the victory's been won. Look, here's the proof of all of it. Here's everything that's been done. And so Paul says, that's what's happened with Jesus. He's had a victory parade. The evil one has been defeated and there's no doubt about it. Everyone has seen it. So we've just paused to recognise the sacrifice that enabled World War I to finish, to stop, to end, the armistice, the laying down of arms 100 years ago today and therefore the freedom that we have received from that. It would be crazy for us to continue to live like that war is still being fought, like that battle is still raging long after it's done after the victory has happened. And Paul wants to make it very clear to us that the same thing is true in our relationship with Jesus and the way that we live our lives, particularly in terms of this battle that we all have with sin and selfishness and the things that we know are not God's best for us. Paul says, the victory has been won. The parade has already happened People have spilled out into the streets. You think of the images that you've seen of victories after war, ticker tape parades, people dancing in the streets, singing with joy. All of that has already happened. So the question Paul leaves us with is, are we embracing that freedom and making the most of it? Or are we still living our lives as if the war is still going on? as if we're still responsible to be the ones who ultimately win the victory somehow. Paul says, you know who Jesus is. You know what Jesus has done. So, live like it. Stay focused. Embrace the freedom that you've been given. So as we wrap up today, I want to read what Paul says in verse 7 in the Message Translation he couldn't make it more clear. He says, you know your way around the faith, now do what you've been taught. School's out, quit studying the subject and start living it. Pure and simple. You understand who Jesus is and what he's done for you, so go and live it. Don't overcomplicate it. Don't make it more difficult than that. And so the question for us to reflect on as we head into this week is this, what's one thing that I can do this week that allows me to live out of the victory that Jesus has given me, instead of thinking I need to try and win the victory myself. Remember that Paul, as he talks about what it looks like for us to live this way, uses these three metaphors. And so this might be helpful for you in trying to find something to think about this week. He talks about the idea of walking with Jesus, allowing our roots to sink down deep, and these solid foundations that we've had. So, let's unpack each of those. Walking with Jesus. What does it look like this week to do one thing to help you remember to walk more clearly with Jesus? What does it look like to remember when I get up in the morning, I'm hanging out with Jesus. He's right there. As I get up, as I have breakfast, as I get ready and start my day, Jesus is with me. So, what does it look like for me to do something so that I can tangibly remember that truth? As I get up, as I go to work, as I go to school, as I go and do the chores that I need to do, as I connect with other people, 
What's it look like for me to remember that I walk with Jesus? That Jesus is right there with me in the midst of whatever it is that I'm doing on a daily basis. How can I remember to walk with Jesus as I go about my week? For some of us, maybe that metaphor of sinking our roots down deep is the more helpful one. Maybe it's about needing to do some weeding. We recognise that the roots that I've got in my life are not getting the nutrients that they need to because there's other weeds around the place that are sucking some of the nutrients out of the, out of the soil. These other things that are distracting me. So maybe it's about clearing some stuff out of the way, saying no to some things so that I can more clearly focus on Jesus. Maybe it's about pouring some nutrients into the soil so that my roots can sink down a little bit deeper. Maybe it's helpful to go back and rethink about some of the things that we talked about a couple of months ago when we did our foundation series, reading our Bibles, praying, journaling, those sorts of things. Maybe there's something that you thought about in that series. Oh, yeah, that's right. I was going to make that a bit more of a priority. Just never quite got around to it. Are there some nutrients, some things that we can pour into the soil to help our roots go down deep? Or maybe it is that metaphor of the foundation. And stopping and saying, what am I building my life on? And is that actually stable and secure? Is that strong enough that I can build out from there? Am I focused on a foundation that is about stuff? Things that advertising tells me that I need to have. Is it about my image? Is it about what other people think of me? Is my foundation on those things and I know that ultimately they're not really that secure? Or is my foundation fully on Jesus? It gives me the strength and the courage to be able to say, I can build out and I can withstand anything that comes my way. Maybe the helpful thing for me is to go back and to reread through the first chapter of Colossians every day this week, to be reminded about these unbelievable truths that Paul has laid out to us, to say, that's the foundation that we can have, who Jesus is, what Jesus has done. So every day I'm going to get up and just reread that and allow that to shape the decisions that I make throughout my day. Whatever it is, I want to encourage you to think of one thing. Don't try and do everything. Just pick something to be able to say, what does it look like for me to embrace who Jesus is, what Jesus has done, and to be able to live my life with a clearer focus on what it looks like to follow him into this unbelievable, unrestrained life that he's given us the gift of being able to live. Let's pray. Jesus, thank you that living for you is not about us having to have this to-do list, this checklist of all these things that we'd better make sure that we get right, otherwise you're going to turn your back on us. Thank you that it's not about rites of passage that we have to go through, it's not about things that we have to do in our lives in order to somehow win the victory, in order to somehow win your love and your favour. But that the truth of who you are and what you've done for us is that it is done it's finished because of your life your death and your resurrection we now have clear access to live life the way that you created us to live in the freedom that you have given us to be able to live and so as we go into this week i pray for a sense of excitement and a sense of expectation about what it looks like to focus on that even more clearly than we ever have before Whatever the metaphor is that's most helpful for us, if it's about walking with you and recognising you're there in every part of our life, 
it's about sinking our roots down deeper into you, if it's about building a more solid foundation, I pray that you would help us to be able to identify that one thing that you have given us as an opportunity, not again to try and earn anything, but simply to live and experience the freedom that you've given to us. So we ask that you would help us to recognise as we go out into this week, that you go with us, you're a part of every single moment of every single day. So help us to embrace this unrestrained life you've given us. In your name we pray. Amen.